0: Good morning, West Park. It's good to be with you this morning. And uh, looking forward to what God has to say to us. Amen. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to ask for the Lord's help, and then we will jump into our final message in the book of Hebrews. And uh, next Sunday, we'll be talking about uh, Christmas, and uh, so today we will conclude the book of Hebrews. Let's pray. Father God, we have lifted our voices in praise to you. And now we desire for you to minister to us by your word and your spirit, and may you tell us exactly what we need to hear, not what we want to hear or what is necessarily appealing to us, but exactly what you have for us individually and as a church family. Help your servant, Lord, I ask, uh, who's not worthy nor capable of the task at hand. So help clarify my thoughts, anoint my lips as we look to you alone. We ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13, uh, really is the, the uh, capstone on the book of Hebrews. And, uh, What I want to do is, I I want to do this. I want to take you to kind of the close of the book, which is a benediction. So look down to verse number 20, and I want to read this uh, for you, and then we're going to go back to verse 1. But I want you to to capture in your mind something here that we read in verse uh, 20 and 21. The writer of Hebrews concludes and says, Now may the God of peace... Who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, now listen carefully to verse 21, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, you know, here's the capstone, here's the benediction. I want you to be equipped with everything good that you may do the will of God because that will be pleasing to him. So what is it that he wants us to do? Well, we've studied through the book of Hebrews and really chapter 13 is a a summary. And he actually, the writer, gives the summary thoughts beginning at verse 1. So beginning at verse 1 through verses 12 or or 17 or so, we're going to read what it is that he wants us to do. So let me read to you first, uh, uh, beginning at verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Number four, let marriage be held in high honor among you. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse six, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you with the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from those who serve the tent, no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Therefore, let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach endured. For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, let us continually up, offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they ain't keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, For that would be of no advantage to you. This is God's word. Here's what I want to do. I want to give you this morning seven things that we find in the text of a people that are pleasing to God, a church that is pleasing to God. Now, before we open up these seven things, we're going to pray. And you're going to pray. Because you know what I really don't care much for? I don't care much for Christian lists. And you go to a church and they give you a big long list. And it turns you into sort of this dutiful Christian. You know, as long as I keep the list, virtually impossible. But here's what I want us to do. I want us just to take 30 seconds or so and you to ask the Lord in the silence of your own space, Lord, what is the one thing you want to speak to me today? Of these seven. I expect there's something in here that the Lord wants to speak to you that is displeasing or disappointing in your life that maybe the Lord just wants to bring to remembrance to you, just remind you, uh, help you with that, encourage you, maybe some bit of conviction. And that's good. That's okay. The Spirit of God it will lead us into all truth, the Lord Jesus tells us. So, right where you are, say, Lord, please reveal to me by way of your Spirit what you want me to hear from this message this morning. Let's just take 30 seconds and pray. Amen. So, what does the text tell us? What are these elements of what is required of us if, as we read in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, if we're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? The first one is quite obviously it is a church that is loving. That's what's pleasing to God, a church that is loving. Look at verse number one. Let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. Uh, showing brotherly love, demanded that within the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we treat each other as esteemed family members. Uh, This is for our brothers and sisters, right? And and you notice what it says, let brotherly love continue, because the love of God has been placed in us. In fact, Romans 5.5 tells us that God is love, and his love has been poured into our hearts. It's already there. We're not trying to conjure this up or crank it up. We're trying to manifest that which has been placed in us. It's a natural outflow of the Christian life. And you can starve it. You can starve Christian love. You can feed Christian love. But the writer is saying, you know, continue in that. Continue to love one another. When a person comes to Christ, they are naturally drawn to fellowship with other believers by way of the Spirit. At least they should be. And love of your brothers and sisters is vital to spiritual life. And that's why Peter writes, and Peter knows something about the love of one another, because I think at times Peter's a bit hard to love. You know, he's kind of this gregarious kind of guy, right? And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Since you have in obedience to the truth, this is an issue of obedience... Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren fervently, and some of you will know that that term in the Greek word fervently means at full stretch. It's the terminology used if you're trying to run a rational and people at the end, they sort of launch out with all they've got to try and get over the line before the guy next to them. So this is at full effort, full stretch. You are to love one another from the heart. That's what we're to do. We're to let brotherly love. God loves when he sees his children loving one another. Now, how do you do this? Because in a church, you can get a bit cynical. Ever happened to you when you've looked and said, wow, that wasn't very Christian, That wasn't very loving. Uh, Somebody said something to me or something was done to me. Something was said about me. And, you know, you can get a little bit cynical. A long time ago, a friend of mine said to me, you know how you avoid getting cynical? You pray this. Lord, keep my heart big and keep my heart soft. Lord, keep my heart big. Open to everybody. Always open and keep my heart soft. Do not let my heart take on a hardness. You know, get sort of entrenched, get cynical. Keep my heart big and keep my heart soft. Let brotherly love, how are you doing in your love for brothers and sisters in Christ? Is there a brother or sister at West Park that you've had a fractured relationship that maybe this is the time where you need to just go and sort that out as best as you're able? Put that to rest. Rest. That'll be pleasing to God. The second one flows out of the first one. It's a church that is compassionate. A church that is compassionate. Verse number two, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, and now look at what it says here, because this is a very important nuance here. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them as though in prison with them. And that's what compassion is. Compassion moves past empathy. Empathy is the, the capacity, the ability, the willingness to say, I, I, I understand, I want, to, I want to, you know, try and step into your shoes and, and, and appreciate and experience. Compassion literally means to suffer together with you. I, I am going to experience what you're experiencing. It's really empathy put into action or empathy with hands-on. I'm going to be put out to experience your pain, your sorrow, your suffering. That's what compassion is. And a church that is pleasing to God is a church that does that very thing, shows that level of hospitality. And in fact, amongst the brothers and sisters in Christ, jesus tells us that that's actually the identifier that's that's the thing that tells us that we are christ ones john 13 35 if you want the reference by this all men will know that you are my disciples by the love that you show what does it say for one another or one one another that's how people know we're christians First and foremost, by the fact that we love each other. Please, I beg you, don't say something disparaging to non-Christians about people in your church. Grieves the heart of God. Grieves the heart of God. Acting out love to each other. Uh, when When you love one another, and then you move that into being compassionate within the brothers and sisters in Christ, you know what happens? you begin to answer your own prayers. And what I mean by that is, Lord, I pray for Mrs. Smith. I know that she's very lonely. Please help her not be so lonely. And God says, why don't you visit her? Lord, I pray for the Jones family. I know at this time of year they got several kids and Christmas, they must be under pressure financially. Lord, meet their need. Why don't you give them a little money? That sometimes happens to me, and I'm like, oh, yes, got you, Lord. I can answer my own prayer because I love my brothers and sisters. I've had brothers and sisters that have answered their own prayers and blessed me. And it will mean that you'll be put out, you'll be inconvenienced. At times, you will be annoyed. Uh, You will be anonymous. You will be unnoticed, and you can count it all joy as you love brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to have compassion that manifests deep care for one another. Period. Hard stop. Long suffering. You know what the problem with long suffering is? It's long. Number three what is a church of people that is pleasing to God? It is a church that is sexually pure. A church that is sexually pure. Look at verse number four. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. This is one of the biggest watershed issues in the world today. In the garden, Satan used a very, very interesting strategy. He upset the God-ordained and directed model and order for the family. He asked Eve to supersede the authority of Adam, and it ruined the family, and by extension, the family has never recovered. Society is built on a family. And when marriages and families wobble and fail, this upsets God's design, and as families go, so goes a culture and a society. And today the strategy is to destroy families by way of infidelity and immorality. When I moved to Atlanta, I worked with a retired executive. And one day over lunch, he told me a very interesting story about which was probably the first megachurch in America, long before Rick Warren came along, long before any of these other guys, Craig Groeschel and name them off, one of the first megachurches in the U.S. was a church called the Atlanta Baptist Tabernacle. Hundreds and hundreds of people went there. My friend Joe, his father was an elder at the Atlanta Baptist Tabernacle. And at the apex of that church, when I think it was running 2,000 people, when nobody had those kinds of numbers, there musical director, choir director, who was an immensely popular man in the church. He had this massive choir, you know, these old big old Baptist churches that had these big choir lofts, you know, probably 200 people. He was so popular, loved him, beloved in the church, was caught in marital immorality in the church with a woman in the choir. And the elders convened and said, what will we do? He is so popular, what will we do And interestingly and oddly enough, at the same time that that happened, he had received a request to take on a new ministry on the other side of the country. And the church said, you know what? That's our way out. Let's let him go and tell the other church we're happy to have him become their pastor. And that will solve our problem, and that will get him out of here And it'll all be good. And my friend Joe, his father, said to the elder board that night, if you do this, you will lift the hand of God's blessing off of our church. And if you don't do it now, but at lunch today, if you take your phone and you Google the tabernacle, Atlanta, you will see that it is a nightclub. It was the House of Blues during the Atlanta Olympics. A massive building now where people go there to meet, but they don't go there and meet God. You pay a price. You pay a price for sexual impurity in the church. Marriage is to be held for in high honor, precious value. That's what the text is telling us. Can I say this, if I might, this morning? Moms and dads, if you're a mom and dad, listen carefully. The best thing you can give your children this Christmas is not something from Amazon. The best thing you can give your children this Christmas is a deep commitment to your husband or to your wife. And the other thing I just want to say, and then we'll move on, because it's gotten very quiet in here. I have been a pastor for some time, and I have journeyed with many couples through marital collapse. I believe that it takes two people to make a good marriage, but sadly, one can ruin it. And a marriage never spontaneously collapses. Once in a while, I shouldn't say never, sometimes it does. But my experience has been it collapses as the result of an erosion. Anybody see in, uh, this week in New York in the Bronx, anybody see a section, a big section of an apartment building fell down? Anybody see that? Like just fell down. And everybody said, well, how in the world did that happen? It was interesting. One official was quoted and said this. And I thought, that's a very interesting statement as I was preparing this week to speak. He said this: "When internal, load-bearing structural elements fail, a building will collapse into itself." I thought, That's what happens in a marriage. We allow internal, load-bearing structural elements to begin to be eroded, and then the marriage falls in on itself. We allow purity, fidelity, appreciation to get eroded. And then the marriage falls in on itself. Sexual purity in a church is profoundly important to the Lord and is pleasing to him. Number four, a church that is generous. The Lord loves a church that is generous. Look at verse five. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then look down to verse number 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. God loves a generous church, a church that is willing to give away. Thank you, West Park, for giving away that which the world worships. The world worships money. And we know money can bring a lot of good and a lot of pain. Sometimes it can bring the same at the same time, it can bring both. I, I used to preach in a large Christian high school in Atlanta when I lived there. A yeah, big school, had about 1,200 kids. And one day I was there doing a chapel service and the, uh, the, the contact for me was the head of guidance at that school and, and, and uh, he said, hey, I want to show you our new gym. And he took me and sh- they had built this amazing sort of college level gym. I think it was about three million bucks when they built it. This is like 20 years ago. I said, wow, Dan, this is amazing. This is just amazing. And he said, yeah. And then he said, oh, this is interesting. He said, see that kid over there? And he pointed to this young boy. He was probably 15. He said, his dad wrote the check for this gym. And I said, wow, that's amazing that his dad could do that. He says, yeah, you want to know what the irony is? He said, I had that kid in my office. And that kid sat there with tears running down his face. And he said, you know what? I'd give back all of the money we have if I could have my dad back. We got lots of money, but I don't have a dad. He's working all the time. He's caught up in his company. See, you you can be generous with your money and be stingy with your life, your time. But God loves a church that is generous. And and when you get uh, discontented, see, it tells us to be content with what you have if you get discontented your issue is not with what you have your issue is with the giver because your discontentment is actually an affront to god saying god i don't like the way you distributed things you know i will never have a lot of money you know why because i would wreck my life with it i know my heart well enough i would wreck my life i got more than i deserve now probably Number five, a church that is teachable and submissive. Look at verse number seven. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now look down to verse 17. Now we're preaching. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. A church that is pleasing to God, that God rewards, is actually a a church that is teachable and submission. Listen very carefully. Love comes with correction. Did you hear that? Love comes with correction. And if you turn back one chapter to Hebrews chapter 12, Verse number six, you will notice the verse tells us that God chastens, corrects those whom he, what? Loves. And if you join a church and it does not correct people ever, that is not a church that is loving. That is a church that is spiritually irresponsible and biblically disobedient. As the ecclesia, the called out ones, there's a responsibility to care for one another by way of correction. And, you know, and there's a continuum to this, right? There's some churches that never say a word. You can do whatever you want. That's one end of the continuum. There's other churches at the other end of the continuum, and I've been around those churches, you know, and, uh, and they're nitpicky about every single thing. You know, I, I, used, to, I used to go and I used to be, speak in very fundamental uh, churches in the South when I lived in the South, and where they are jacked up about everything. One of the things you used to hear about is short hair. I can tell you Jesus had short hair. And they go on and on about these pastors. You know, I'll tell you something. Some of these fundamental pastors, they go on about short hair, you know? Men should have short because Jesus... You know what? I'd see them out on the parking lot afterwards. You know what they did? They had their hair. You know, they'd had their hair spun up in a big thing like a Cinnabon on their head. And you'd see them out on the parking lot afterwards and the wind would catch that hair and it would blow that Cinnabon of hair off and it'd be like this long, right? Because it would unravel and then they have to get their comb and they got to rearrange. It wasn't how long your hair was, it was how it was arranged. But they would go on about that. And, And that's not loving either. And yeah, I know somebody will come to me and talk to me about the verse that talks about that. And you have contextual issues. I've been involved in church leadership for 40 years. I want you to hear this. Church discipline has caused me more sleepless nights, more indigestion, more heavy-heartedness than anything else. Some people... Receive the blessing of correction, and some are exercised about church correction. They're not. They've got no business telling me. Those guys are telling me those elders. They're not perfect. What they're throwing the first stone. Uh, uh, you know. Uh, uh, you know. They, they haven't handled this exactly right. Do you know that that the Lord, when He put into the text of Scripture this verse that says. Submit to your leaders, he knew your leaders wouldn't always get it just right. Did you know that? And leaders don't always get it just right. But you don't have to keep them on the hook. Do you know why? Because the verse tells us they will give what? An account. And that's a humbling experience when you're a leader. Their actions are are not your responsibility. Your responsibility is your obedience, and for that, you will give an account. But a church that receives God's blessing, is pleasing to God, enjoys God's favor, is a church, friends, listen, that does exercise correction. A church that is submissive and teachable. Number six, a church that is relentlessly biblical. Biblical. A church that is relentlessly biblical. Verse number nine, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. And then that long passage that we read gets into some of the falling back that these Hebrew Christians were doing to dietary laws and and invoking some of that. A church that is relentlessly biblical has a hard time getting into much trouble, frankly. A church that believes in the inerrancy and the uh, efficacy of the Scripture is, uh, and efficacy means that the Scripture will produce what it promises to produce. A church that has that level of commitment can walk fearlessly into the future. You know, if God ever calls you away from West Park to another church, one of the first questions you want to ask the leadership of the new church is this, how do you view the Word of God? How do you view the Bible? Well, it contains the Word of God. Oh, really? Okay. No, it doesn't. It is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Those are two different things. It's profoundly important to how a church views the Word of God. A church that reads a Bible verse at the beginning of a sermon... And then the preacher launches off into psychobabble, pop psychology, nice cliches from the Internet, is not a biblically relentless church. And you'll soon be led astray. You see, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. I've been into some churches, folks, and I've heard some strange stuff said. And I'm like, I don't know about that. And don't expect others to feel the same way about the Word of God. I think we are in for some challenging days ahead when it comes to the Word of God. If we're going to be faithful to the text, we are going to have cultural pushback. In fact, we read that in 1 Corinthians 1.18. The Word of God tells us, for the Word of the cross is, does anybody know what the next word is? Folly to those who do not believe. It's silliness. That's why when we stand on biblical truth, the world says, oh, come on, are you crazy? Yeah, they're gonna, that's what the word of God tells you. They're, they're going to think it's silly. It's foolishness, right? It's foolishness to those who are perishing, the text tells us, but, but to us who are saved. It's a whole different thing. What is the word of God? Well, it's Romans 1.16. It is the power of God. It's the euangelion, the power of God. Let me give a side note. Here's a public service announcement on behalf of your next lead pastor. Okay? You can be angry with me. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going somewhere else. <laughs> here's, a, here's, here's, here's an announcement to you. Okay? And I want to say this because we're friends, I think, here. Okay? Your next pastor is going to come he's going to preach, and I know the board here is deeply, deeply committed to a man that's deeply, deeply committed to the Word of God. That's sacrosanct. Your next pastor, because I did this for many, many years, will spend hours and hours every week preparing a sermon. He will pray over it. He will study over it. At times, I have wept over it, where God has convicted me. Okay, God convicted me of the sermon prep this week. You know how God convicted me, full disclosure? He convicted me because I talked about being generous, and I told you I'd give money to the seeds offering, and I hadn't done it yet. So I had to come in here with my debit card and give a gift to the seeds offering before I preached a message on generosity because the Lord said, what are you going to get up there, you big mouth? You better get that offering in there. You said you were going to do it. So I I handed him my $3. (laughs) Your next pastor is going to spend... I used to spend 20 hours a week to produce a sermon. I would pray over it, study over it. This morning, I'm driving here. I stop in my car on a little country road, and I'm writing on my notes because I'm still not quite happy with it. And I'm lying in bed last night thinking, I don't think that's quite right, Lord. No, I've got to make an adjustment there. I've got to look up a verse. I'm sitting here as you're singing. I'm looking up something... And your pastor is going to work on that. Listen carefully. I say this with love. If he preaches 40 messages or so a year, he's going to say 16,000 sentences approximately in a year. There's going to be one of those sentences you don't like. But don't rush up to him afterwards and tell him that. I talk to young pastors. I talk to pastors all the time. They preach, when they preach and prepare and pray over a sermon, it's an offering to God. And they give that offering, and they are tanked. After I have preached twice here on Sunday morning, I am tanked. I'm spent. And somebody comes up. "Uh, I disagree with that one thing you said. Oh, okay, because I spent 20 hours studying that. And just so you know, there's things I say that I disagree with myself. Uh, I appreciate your sermon. That's always how they start. However, you didn't mention anything about this. Yeah, I know. i got 33 minutes, and right now I'm over. i got 33 minutes. I can't land on every single thing that has to do with what the text is. I have to say, Lord, what is it that I'm supposed to say today? So if you're unhappy with some sentence or some little thing, I beg you to go back home. Keep your hmm, hmm, hmm. Go back home and pray about it and give it to the Lord. The people who never ever came to me with anything to do with the sermon were men and women in my church who had PhDs in theology and Bible. I had those people in my church. They never ever came and corrected, even though I got some things wrong because they knew the Spirit of God would convict me. And they didn't need to do that. Pray like crazy for your next lead pastor. It's a tough gig. It's a tough gig. He won't get every single thing just exactly right. Are we okay with that? We okay with that? Amen? Okay. Let's keep going. I love Psalm 119. Thy word is a... Lamp, come on, is a. And a, that little verse is. So it's a lamp unto my feet. I can see what I'm supposed to do right here in this moment at my feet. But it's a light unto my path. I can move forward with confidence, trusting God. Isaiah 48, if. You want a wonderful verse, right? The trees wither and the flowers fade away, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Forever. Number seven. Number seven. A church that is overflowing with worship and praise. Look at verse 15. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Christ-focused, acknowledge his name, done reverently and carefully. It's to be done continually, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 tells us. Are you continually mumbling and complaining, or are you praising God? God gives churches favor that, that are full of praising people, and sometimes people say, you know, oh, I got a thankful heart, and I want to say, well, connect it to your lips, <laughs> connect it to your lips, right? Our natural bent is to be ungrateful. It's Satan's Satan's work. Uh, I don't have time this morning, but let me just encourage you. Go to Genesis at some point. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. You're going to find Satan's strategy. It's threefold. You'll see it right in there. It's so clear. Once you see it, you'll go, wow, if you've never noticed it before. Satan says three things to uh, Eve and, and Adam. He's standing next to her. He's, he's complacent in this thing. He's, he's part of it. But Satan has basically three things. This is his strategy through all time. First thing is you can't trust God's word. Did God really say that? The second thing He says, God is holding out on you. Oh, you won't surely die. You won't surely die if you do You can't trust His word. God is holding out on you. The third thing that Satan does is you can be your own God. Now the reason why God doesn't want you to eat is because you will be like Him. You can be your own God, and, and and that's what Satan does to us. He just keeps coming at us. Don't trust God's word. God is holding out on you, you can be your own God. Boom, boom, boom. That is the world in which we live. And when Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world, when you don't trust God's word, you believe God is holding out on you, and you believe you're, you can be your own God, that is the boilerplate definition of being conformed to the world. You look in our world today, those three things, whoosh. And when that happens, you become cynical and you will not be a person who is overflowing with worship and praise. Very hard to do. So let me ask you this as we close. The big idea this morning, let me close with this, is this. Jesus desires, it says in your notes, and again, this is where I'm fooling around with the sermon last minute. I'm thinking this morning, that's the wrong word, Adams. Because it's the wrong word according to the text. It's not desires. Jesus rewards. He rewards. Churches that are full of people whose lives are pleasing and whose lips are praising. And I have told your elders, I think that West Park is in for a very significant kingdom advance where God is going to allow you immense favor, God's favor is different than his power. God's favor is his unexplainable access. That's God's favor. He will give you favor. But he'll give you favor in these areas. A little poem. If everyone was just like me, what kind of church would West Park be? Think about that. If everybody was just like me, You, If everybody was just like me, what kind of church would West Park be? Let's bow our heads. Let's go back to where we started. What is God saying to you this morning? And remember, I said, maybe God has one thing to say to you this morning. Maybe what God's saying to you is, your level of love is not at the place where it should be. Love for one another. You, you've got some fractured friendships. You've got some broken relationships within the family of God that, that you just you just got to make right. God will help you do that. That'll be pleasing to him. Maybe you're, you just don't have the compassion. You, you know, you, you care, but but you're not willing to be put out or put on the spot and and you know that, especially at, time, at Christmas time, there, there's people that, that you need to, to enter into their suffering and try and help them and make some sacrifices of time, maybe money, maybe energy to bless them. Maybe you're here this morning and sexual purity is a struggle for you. You know, maybe you're just too close to somebody at work. And maybe the internet's causing you all kinds of problems. You need to confess that today and, and maybe find somebody who can journey with you and some accountability. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and you, you're, you're just not a generous person. You, you look at uh, anything God prompts you to give away as something that you're giving away instead of something you're giving back because it was all his in the beginning. You, you need a generosity check on your heart this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and at some point you've been corrected in a church or somebody has spoken into your life and that's not been received. Maybe it didn't come across loving when it was said or, and that's okay. You can give that back to God and say, God, they have to give account for that, but yes, I received that. I'm not gonna be embittered or angered over that any longer and I'm gonna take that as from you even though I may not have liked when it arrived. Maybe you're here this morning, you're saying, you know, I, I haven't been relentlessly biblical in my own life. Yeah, I, I look at the Bible casually, I, and, and I'm gonna start maybe even this week just to, to make the Bible, your word as a significant part of my life. Maybe just start with a few minutes a day, five or 10 minutes a day. Maybe you're here and you say, you know, I'm not a praiseworthy person. Praise does not echo in the hallways of our home. We're cynical, we're complaining. We're, we're, we're pretty, pretty lukewarm. We need to be more tuned into the goodness of God. Which one of those is your today, yours that God is saying to you? Just before we sing, would you stand, please? I want to go back to where we started and pronounce a benediction over you right from our text. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you West Park with everything good that you West Park may do his will working in you that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.